Hello and welcome to Gamification Unlocked, a show about real games and how we can use their techniques for learning and change. I'm Brandon Carper, a training designer. And I'm Chad Hayfley. I work in user experience in academic libraries. And today we have a lockpick episode where we examine a game and its techniques a little bit more briefly than we usually do. So let me start this episode by asking you, Chad, what have been your experiences with group work in your <laughs> lifetime as oh, a student man. and working in academia now? So there's still like a chill that runs down my spine when I hear that word, I think. <laughs> um, group work was the thing that I always did the whole thing at the end, I think. And that was consistent through like K-12, through college, through, uh, I guess, it's, you know, it's, I love my current coworkers. They're great. We do wonderful work together. But up until that point, it was pretty universal. Yeah, I, I've had the same experience. I don't think you and I were ever in the same class or in the same group in college. That's probably why we can still speak to each other. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So I think a lot of people have had that experience where they get put in a group and there are the people there who they're just not going to do the work because they know that you're going to do the work and you do it because mm-hmm. you want that grade like a sucker. <laughs> Even in later grades in college and and graduate work, I would have similar experiences. And as you progress later in your education, the justification becomes more that, well, in the workplace, you need to learn how to work in groups to be a good employee. But I always found a big flaw in those arguments. Chad, did you ever find the same flaw that I did? I don't know. Tell me. Well, in work, there's usually someone who's in charge. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, very true. You you have a manager or a project manager or a team lead. And my experience with school groups was always everyone's thrown in there. Everyone's equal. No one is really a leader. And chaos usually ensues. Yes. Yeah. You know, you might have a teacher outside of the group. That isn't the same thing. Right. But nevertheless, learning to work in groups and identifying when a group has a healthy structure or not, I think, is valuable. But it's something that you have to focus on and teach. It doesn't just happen when you throw it at your your students. Um, Later, when I became a teacher, I would do group work as well. Well, I would ask my students to do it, rather. I tried to avoid the more horrible aspects of group work that I was subjected to. Uh, My motivation for group work, a lot of it was I would have less to grade (laughs) at the end of the day. (laughs) We'll be doing presentations for three weeks. (laughs) Uh, Followed by movies. Yeah. Well, no, because I had a, a certain quota of writing that I was supposed to have my students do. And I had 120, 140 students, and there was only so much writing I could grade on a regular basis. So I would have them do cooperative writing assignments. Aha, uh-huh. devious. And they would do them within the class period, and at the end of the period, I would uh, collect one at random to grade. So that gave them all motivation to work together and to make sure that everyone else was, was getting it, but... I I think it still probably wasn't ideal because there was probably still the student who was just taking dictation without maybe contributing a lot. I don't know. Anyway, 
if you would like to learn more about <laughs> cooperative learning <laughs> principles, uh, there's an article that I pulled from the 2007 Educational Psychology Review by Johnson, Johnson, and Smith. So they have a very nice, concise definition of how people learn better in cooperative settings than alone or in competition with each other. I guess it's not a definition. I guess it's more like a description. But I'm going to read it to you now, and I'll just edit in the block quotes, I guess, <laughs> to the podcast Please. later. So they say that uh, cooperation compared with competitive and individualistic efforts tends to result in higher achievement, greater long-term retention of what is learned, more frequent use of higher-level reasoning and metacognitive thought, more accurate and creative problem-solving, more willingness to take on difficult tasks and persist despite difficulties and working toward goal accomplishment, more intrinsic motivation, transfer of learning from one situation to another, and greater time on task. I, I salute all of this. Yes. So, why is something so awesome, so horrible? Is, <laughs> I is think we question. could apply that to very many <laughs> aspects of life. Right. So... If you read the article, they, they go on and they, they list uh, five conditions for cooperation to exist. We'll, we'll look at a few here and then talk about how they apply to the board game that is coming up and has not yet been named. Stay tuned. It's a mystery. So they talk about something called positive interdependence, which can mean that uh, the outcome of the group is entangled with the outcomes for all the individuals. Uh, for example, they, they all want the, the outcome that the, the group is, is going to have. So that's like aligning your interests together. Right, right. And often that happens in class because you all get a, a group grade, for better or worse. Then they talk about something called means interdependence. And uh, that includes resource interdependence, so each member has part of the resources needed to complete the task. I'm going to quote here again a little bit. Uh, role interdependence, members are assigned complementary roles. And task interdependence. So like the Avengers, everyone has a different power, and they all work together to fight evil. Right, and Chad, I'm not caught up on the Avengers, but name some Avengers for me so I can make uh... a cultural reference. <laughs> Captain America, Thor, the Hulk. Right. So imagine that there were two Thors. Wouldn't Whoa. that wouldn't that be silly? You only need one Thor to call down lightning from heaven and get your way into Asgard, I imagine. Yes. So <laughs> everyone has a role on the team. Uh, so they're they're kind of overlapping but they're, you know, not the same role. Uh, another condition for cooperation to exist is Individual accountability, which means that you can't just wait around for the other people to do the work and still get the, the same result. So that's exactly what we were talking about in the opening. Yes, exactly. Uh, another one that he talks about as far as conditions go is promotive interaction. So the, the positive interdependence was more kind of the resources and the structure that you're, you're working with, and then the promotive interaction is more what you, you actually do once you're in that environment. So you're supposed to help and assist each other, exchange needed resources and information. You're supposed to challenge each other's conclusions and reasoning. Uh, he talks about having social skills as well, which, of course, you should have them. But he, he, he says something that I feel has often been skipped over in group work, 
in my experience, which is that social skills have to be taught. <laughs> yes, you, very true. You can't just throw people in a group and expect them to work well together. And uh, and I, as, as I read this, I, I thought about some group work even later in my academic career where the stated reason for having the group work was that we needed to learn to work together so that when we get to have a real job, we would be good group workers. Oh, so it was kind of hanging a sign on the idea that that was the point. Like, yes, you are, you have some kind of outcome of your group work, but the main reason you're there is the kind of meta aspect of it. Right, exactly. However, in the same breath or same page of the syllabus the professor would say however if you're having problems in your group don't come to me because your boss doesn't want to hear about your <laughs> group problems on the workplace <laughs> so on the one hand it's in the class because you need to learn it but on the other hand you know it's not something that the professor might want to actually teach you you're supposed to kind of just learn it spontaneously and and I say that because I feel like that's kind of the, the implicit assumption that people have, whether or not they hang a sign on, you know, this is why you're you're doing it, to learn to be good at your job. A lot of professors and teachers just think you just need to learn how to do it naturally, whereas, you know, the person who literally wrote the text on how to yeah. learn cooperatively is saying that you have to actually focus and teach this like like any skill. You can't just leave it up to students to their own devices. I'm feeling like a light bulb is going off. Like what, one of the few group learning uh, collaborative experiences I've been part of, which I think of positively in retrospect, was a grad school project where I always kind of thought I was mildly annoyed the professor didn't give us enough context for what we were doing. And we all, none of us really knew what we were doing. We had to scramble and figure it out together. And we all kind of picked our roles and fell into them. And that ended up being one of the most valuable group work experiences I've ever had. Because, because you had to find out your own roles and decide your own responsibilities? Yeah, because we understood the task so little that nobody came into it as an expert in any one part of it. Uh, so there was nobody we could automatically say, okay, you're the person who's going to do all the work. So that's interesting. The playing field was, was so level that no natural... Very, very low and very level, yes. And then the final condition that the article talks about is group processing, which is more... A, a meta-analysis of how your group is doing. So the group needs to be able to think about its own way that it's working as a group and, and make changes on, on that level. So group thinking about group thinking, which is a little bit deeper than I'm planning to go today because <laughs> today I am just going to talk about a board game called Pandemic. Pandemic is a game where you play cooperatively, which is different from a lot of board games, especially traditional ones, where everyone is playing competitively. And in this game, you play a team trying to stop the spread of four deadly viruses across the world. Each turn, the infection spreads, and if a city becomes too infected, there's an outbreak, which rapidly spreads the disease to neighboring cities. And if there's a neighboring city that was about to outbreak, then you probably lost the game because an entire continent is now hopelessly under infection. Yeah, you got six more. <laughs> sure. Uh, you can temporarily reduce the infection, but the only way to permanently solve the problem is to research a cure for the disease, and after you research all four cures, you win. And that's you collectively as all the players, right? Yeah, you collectively as a team. There's no way for one person to win. It's you. You win as a team or you lose as a team. Mm -hmm. 
Chad, you said you've played Pandemic. Yeah, it's been a number of years ago, but it was one of my first exposures to this cooperative style of board game, I think. Before that, I'd been much more of a... I wouldn't say I was a Monopoly enthusiast, but I was a, a player of Monopoly in those style games where the goal is to drive everyone else into the ground as hard as you possibly can. And it, mm-hmm. it was it was a nice experience, and I've not had as much time to get into them as I wish since then, but it's I think I prefer it. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a refreshing change from what I grew up with, which was games like Monopoly and Shoots and Ladders and Life and, and so on. Mm-hmm. And the the teamwork in this game comes when you try to cure a disease, because as you go through the game, each person collects cards, and they're color-coded by the region they come from, and one single person needs four or five cards from the same region to cure the disease, so you have to meet up with the other players in certain cities to swap cards so that one person can have all the cards of a certain color and, and cure the disease. Oh, so you have to coordinate, like, I'm heading to New York, meet me there, I have the resources you need. Right, exactly. And you have to juggle that with preventing, you know, some immediate short-term disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been in companies and teams where, you know, the <laughs> the entire focus was on preventing the short-term disaster, and then, well, eventually the disease had conquered the world, and we couldn't stop it. <laughs> I didn't hear about that part of your employment. Uh, yeah, little-known fact. So in addition to this, each player has a role. So, for example, one is really good at fighting back infection. His name is the the medic. Uh, one person can find cures with four cards instead of five cards. That's the researcher. No, that's the scientist. One can swap cards whenever they want. That's the, the researcher who often plays hand-in-hand with the, the scientist. So that's everyone having their own skill to bring to the table, literally. Right, right. And, Chad, there was recently released a new kind of pandemic. Have you heard of Pandemic Legacy? I have heard of it. That's literally about all I know is that it exists. (laughs) So, in Pandemic Legacy, the twist is that you don't just play one game and you're done. You actually play one game and the world gets altered based on how bad of a job you did. (laughs) Oh, that's fascinating. And then you have to play in that same world again uh, the next quote-unquote month in the game. So you you play at least 12 games with the same map that progressively changes as you go along, and possibly more if you fail a certain month. You get a chance to, to try again. Is is there a win state to that, or are you just fighting not to lose? Yeah, there there's a there's a story okay. uh, that, that progresses through the game. So one of the... Well, very, very tiny spoiler about pandemic legacy is that one of the first things that happens is there's a disease that cannot be cured. Dramatic plot twist. Right. And then the game kind of takes off from there about explaining what that disease is and how you deal with it and the, the repercussions that, you know, affect the, the, the game mechanics. Mm-hmm. And you get fun things like there's all these little boxes in the, in the main box that you open them at certain times and there's different pieces that do different things or you might get stickers that change what your abilities do and so on. Nice. And if one of your characters is in a city that outbreaks, for example, they take a, a scar, and if they get two scars, then I think they're they're out of the game. So there's actually persistent stuff that happens throughout. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I actually haven't finished it yet. We're playing with a group of friends, and we're still in May or or June, but it's it's really fun. Um, 
one of the big rule changes, though, from regular pandemic to pandemic legacy, and it's kind of small, is that in regular pandemic, you keep the cards you have private, so no one knows what cards you have. Mm-hmm. And in Pandemic Legacy, everyone is just instructed to put their cards flat on the, the board so that everyone can just see what everyone else has. So you've got more awareness of the whole situation. Right. Which would you prefer, Chad? Well, I think as, you know, if it's cooperative, I want to see what everyone has. I want to know who can help me, who I can help, and all those kind of things. Right. So it sounds very good on the surface, but it can lead to a syndrome uh, that is called quarterbacking. Uh-oh. Have you heard of the term quarterbacking as it relates to board games? Well, I was going to say, I know it's about football, but, <laughs> you know, I've, I have not run into it in board game context. So quarterbacking is a term for what happens in cooperative games where there's one person who knows how to play the game better than everyone else, and they just end up telling everyone else what to do. Gotcha. And... Uh, that was actually one of my first experiences with Pandemic, with the regular version, was, you know, even though I did have some private information that only I knew, there was one person in the group who had played Pandemic just tons of times, and they just spent the whole game just telling us where to move our characters and what to do and how to win the game. And it was very, uh, very not fulfilling from that aspect. So they've discovered the optimal path to completion, and they don't really like to see anyone deviate from it. Right, right. And to be fair, the game randomizes things enough that the optimal path is not always obvious. But, and you know, maybe the, the things this person was suggesting for us to do weren't always the best thing, but they were convinced that it was. And at one point, the, the person even just started moving everyone else's pieces around because she was tired of <laughs> waiting for us. Oh, to, wow. To yeah, at consent. that point, you might as well not even be there. <laughs> it's solitaire. <laughs> Right, so uh, Pandemic is kind of just a solitaire game played with multiple people moving the pieces. Because you can play Pandemic totally by yourself. You know, there's no game mechanics that require a separate person to, to be there. Especially once you're allowed to see all the cards on the table. Right, right. By counterpoint, we're playing Pandemic Legacy, my wife and I, with, with two other friends. And we're all pretty experienced board game players that have played the game before. And... This isn't a problem at all. It's a, it's a lot of fun because we all have different ideas and different strategies, and it's more of a collaborative experience that is a lot more rewarding than you know my first experience with the game. Is that because you're all experienced with it? Do you think, let's say, a, a new person replaced one of you? How would that affect the dynamic? Yeah, I, I think I think experience is, is part of it. I think the other part of it is is temperament, right? I mean, we we all. We're all, you know, invested in the game. We all want to win, but we also all know, I think, that at the end of the day, if we think a thing is really the best thing to do, what the other person doesn't, that it's better to just say, eh, and see what happens instead of, <laughs> you know, sticking to it. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a game. Yeah. Although that, that does become harder when, you know, you're, you're one turn away from the city, the, the world being overtaken by disease, and you really think that you have... <laughs> There's varying degrees of it's just a game. <laughs> exactly. Um, so applying Pandemic then to the principles we looked at, or, or vice versa, rather. So the article we looked at talked about interdependence. For example, mm-hmm. means interdependence, where different people have different roles and different resources. And that's something Pandemic theoretically has, in that everyone has 
different abilities and different cards, but I find that that's more uh, more more a theoretical aspect of the game because how much resource interdependence can you have when everyone has the exact same knowledge is something that that I ask myself. Hmm. So really, really the only differentiator I think is you know who has more experience in the the game. And then how does that translate to non-game environments? So if the only differentiator is who has more experience, does that mean someone has to have more experience for successful collaboration? Well, I think, for example, if you are on a, a workplace team and two people have the exact same skill set, then maybe you should ask yourself you know, what is the advantage of having both of those people on the team? Is it going to be that there's more work than one person can do, and that way, you know, you need both of those people? Or is it better just to have one of those people be on the, the team, and maybe that other person can be maybe a sounding board if that first person needs it, you know, outside of the, the group? That makes a lot of sense. So I think I think it's just kind of a maybe a cautionary tale, and you know, as you you put together groups, make sure that everyone is bringing something different, so no one feels like they're redundant. You don't need two Thors. Exactly. <laughs> Although maybe there's another uh, less awesome superhero I could have used for that. Aquaman. Aquaman. Well, he, he's not an Avenger, is he? Ah, uh, details. He's still useless. Details. <laughs> so then. We also talked about promotive interaction, and I think the game has more of this than the the interdependence, right? So there's there's less, I think, a, a structure that successful cooperative groups have, and more if you happen to have the correct group as you're playing the game, you'll get this kind of promotive interaction where people will, you know, exchange what they know and offer challenges to a particular strategy, and so on. So I think, you know, given the right group, you get that type of interaction, but I don't think the structure of the game is as strong in encouraging that to, to happen as it, as it could be. So is that something, if you were a pandemic redesigner for a version 3, something you'd take into account? Well, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, because at the end of the day, it's, it's, a, it's a game, right? And the... Mm-hmm. And it, I think probably at the time it came out, it was doing something, you know, leaps and bounds above what the rest of the, the field was doing. And yeah, actually, sure, that's a good segue into how, I guess, cooperative games have evolved since then, um, especially in the field of individual accountability, like we talked about. Mm-hmm. So, so Pandemic has the problem we were talking about with group work, where everyone succeeds or fails, you know, end of story, full stop. I feel like Pandemic Legacy kind of missed out on an interesting mechanic where, so you do have these, like I said, persistent characters that can acquire skills and, and wounds and so on, but the characters you play are swappable, so you might play the medic one game and then someone else might play the medic another game. Huh. And I thought it would have been a much more intriguing experience if you played the same character throughout the game and you grew more attached to that character, so there was a stronger dynamic between you wanting your character to win and succeed and maybe get out unscathed and alive with a lot of prestige or skills versus the the team victory. Yeah, so you start to feel more invested in them as you go. Right, because I think that 
more closely mirrors what you might experience in the workplace or, you know, even in school groups, right? There, there's the team that wants to succeed, but then there's people with individual motivations where maybe they want to be the star so they can, you know, get all the recognition for how well the group's doing. Maybe there's the person who just wants to get it done because they want to hit the golf course, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like if Pandemic Legacy had attached you more to the character that you're playing, that would have been a better simulation of what you might experience in the real world between team and individual dynamics. Sure, people have a longer view and a, a persistence across multiple projects. That's right, right. Now, other games do have this kind of mechanic. There's a game called uh, Dead of Winter. It's a, it's a cooperative board game about uh, the zombie post-apocalypse where... <laughs> You're all, you're all teaming up to, to survive, but you each also have individual objectives where maybe you want to collect so many of this particular type of object for you to have a, a personal victory beyond mm-hmm. just a team victory. That's interesting. So there's a couple dimensions to it. Right. So you're trying to work together as a team, but then everyone individually has their own stuff that they're, they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of games that have these individual objectives also have something called a, a traitor mechanic where sometimes one person's individual objective is to make the team not succeed. <laughs> oh, so they're secretly not part of the collaborative aspects. Right, right. And so, yeah, their only goal is to pretend that they have a goal for as long as it takes to sabotage everyone else. Blend in as long as possible. Right. So a, a famous example of this in board games is uh, Battlestar Galactica, actually. Based on the some, TV Somebody series. a Cylon? Yeah, where some people are, are Cylons, yeah. Uh, and then there's a game called Archipelago, which is another board game about... It's uh, This one's more about discovering islands, and you actually play a team trying to colonize a particular island. And this game has shared objectives, but the objectives you share are hidden from you until the end of the game. Like, each, each person sees one of the shared objectives, so you have to kind of be paying attention to the other people to see what they're trying to do, so you can kind of try mm-hmm. to do the same thing, <laughs> so that when their objective gets revealed, you can get points from it as well. Fascinating. So it's a little bit of clue, almost, of trying to figure out what other people have going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, so okay, went down a little bit of a rabbit hole with individual accountability. There. No, it's fascinating. <laughs> uh... But as far as, you know, applying then what this game did or didn't do to the educational world or the workplace training world, it might be a bit too far removed from actual business objectives and and goals to use, you know, a game like this to teach people group dynamics in a professional setting. Although, I mean, if you're sending people to communication training for a week, there's probably a lot worse things that they might end up doing than playing a game that focuses on <laughs> communication. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but I think that this might be a good thing to try, you know, a pandemic or a game like it, like we talked about, Dead of Winter or Battlestar Galactica or one of those other cooperative games, to help them kind of practice group dynamics and get them thinking about the principles. Um, that way when they go, when they transition to actual group work, settings with more serious goals, they can kind of think of those principles and that setup that was abstracted in that game and relate to it a little bit better, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, And you can probably also use the principles that were in 
that article we were talking about as a, as a checklist to maybe diagnose workplace teams at a at a glance. And the article was about cooperative learning in particular, but in my experience, a lot of the things that they pointed out as as good cooperative learning techniques apply to just you know work groups in, in general. Yep, every project you're figuring something out, so that's learning in a way. That's true. That's true. So if you'd like to see what Pandemic looks like, you can actually find it on a, my favorite board game review website, shutupandsitdown.com. <laughs> you can find the link to the, the show notes on our, our website, but I, I describe them as the, the David Attenborough of the board game world. You can, you can see what the pieces look like and kind of what the, the experience in general is for, for people. And then a shark eats something. <laughs> what about a David, shark? If it's David Attenborough, something's eating something. Oh, that's right. I, Yeah, very true. Well, I think that is uh, all I have to say about pandemic and cooperative learning for now. So You've, you've made me list... want to go play all these games. Well, Chad, uh, you can just get a plane ticket up to uh, Philadelphia. and uh... <laughs> I'm sure I can business expense it now, right? Well, sure. Sure, tax deductible, right? Yeah. Uh, well, you've been listening to Gamification Unlocked. I'm Brandon Carper. And I'm Chad Hapley. Uh, please rate us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. You can find us on Twitter at Unlocking Games and on the web at unlockinggames.com. If you have a minute, feel free to send us a tweet or leave us a comment letting us know what you thought of the episode or if you have any ways of handling the awful cooperative learning dilemma. Until next time, it's your move.